very good afternoon. It's Niall Boylan on this wet Monday afternoon. Getting close to Christmas. I could start singing, but my producer gets really annoyed when I start singing Christmas songs because he reckons that I can't actually sing. So radio is probably the right business for me. Thank you to everybody, by the way, who has subscribed and donated to the show over the last week or so. We really, really do appreciate it. If you want to continue to do that, or if anybody wants to donate or subscribe to our website, where you can watch the whole catalogue of videos and interviews that we've done over the last six months, all you got to do is go to www.nileboylan.com. And don't forget, for everybody who donates or subscribes, they go into a draw every single day. We give away one of our mugs. We got our smug mugs. That's them there on the screen. And you, one person will win one of those every single day. There seems to be in big demand. Right, today we decided, because of called the hoo-ha in the United Kingdom about the COVID inquiry, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak only saying today that all of his WhatsApp messages conveniently disappeared for the COVID period. And we heard Boris during the week trying to explain exactly why his disappeared. Well, you, you see, I got a new phone and, and, and when I transferred the, the, the WhatsApp messages, for some reason I lost a lot of them. I'm sure you did, Boris. Of course, uh, Boris opened his testimony with, you know, sorry for the pain and loss and suffering people experienced during the pandemic, but his comments were interrupted by protesters who were ordered to leave the inquiry room. But here's the point. Should we have a full public inquiry? Now, there's already been a suggestion that we have an inquiry in relation to how we should deal with these things going forward and the mistakes that are made, but no suggestion of a full public inquiry. Even Philip Nolan from Neffet said, no, that wasn't necessary. But I believe it is necessary because I believe a lot of stupid mistakes were made, not just mistakes because we didn't have data, not just mistakes because we weren't quite sure. And we understand it was an unprecedented event. And just to remind us a little bit again of that unprecedented event, almost three years or is it four now? 2024 years. Sorry, almost. You lose track of time, don't you? Almost four years ago now, uh, just in March 2020, of course, um, Leo Varadkar stood on the steps in Washington and gave us the bad news. And if we remember that, here's that video there. You can have a quick look and you can see that uh, Leo, where is he? Ah. Good evening. Laila Padraig Honadiev. This is a St. Patrick's Day like no other. A day that none of us will ever forget. Today's children will tell their own children and grandchildren about the national holiday in 2020 that had no parties, no parades, but instead saw everyone staying at home to protect each other. In years to come, let them say of us, when things were at their worst, we were at our best. Our country is making big demands of our healthcare staff and big demands of every single one of us. Tonight, I want you to know why these actions are being taken and what more needs to be done. We're in the middle of a global and national emergency, a pandemic, the likes of which none of us have seen before. So far, the number of cases in Ireland has been relatively small. However, we believe the number will rise to 15,000 cases or more by the end of the month and rise further in the weeks thereafter. The vast majority of us who contract COVID-19 will experience only a mild illness, but many will be hospitalized and sadly some people will die. We cannot stop the virus, but working together, we can slow it in its tracks and push it back. We can, as you've heard by now, flatten the curve, but only if everyone takes sustained action, nothing less will do. 
Well, there you go there. Since then, of course, we've had published papers since our last lockdown. Ireland, of course, had the second longest lockdown in the world. Uh, there has been a working paper online last February, uh, reviewed published paper, which said lockdowns prevented relatively few deaths compared to the typical flu season in England and Wales. 18,500, 24,800 flu deaths occurred in Europe. 72,000 flu deaths uh, occur. And in the United States, 38,000 flu deaths occur in a typical flu season. Uh, COVID-19 lockdowns, according to the summary on this, were a global policy failure of gigantic proportions. Um, economists who carried out the meta-analysis found draconian restrictions imposed in spring 2020, including stay-at-home orders, compulsory masks and social distancing, only reduced the COVID mortality by 0.2%. They warned that lockdowns caused enormous, enormous economic and social costs and concluded they were ill-founded and should have been rejected as a pandemic policy instrument. They also claimed the best explanation for differing COVID rate, debt rates in countries was the difference in population, age and health and of the quality of the health sector itself. But look, it is clear that many thousands of people died from COVID-19 and with COVID-19. Uh, but equally, that is true, that, that the true numbers will never be known because, of course, like every other single country in the world, we exaggerated the deaths by using the word with COVID-19 and not from COVID-19. In other words, if you died of a heart attack but happened to test positive in the previous 30 days, you were put down as a victim of COVID-19, not a victim of a heart attack or a car crash or whatever it happened to be that caused your death. There is no doubt for the first few months we were in unknown territory when that statement was made by Leo Varadkar. But realistically, did we actually make any difference when we were doing all these lockdowns, social distancing? Let me go through a list of the words before I come to my experts today, Ivor Cummins. All right, well, I'm just going to remind you all, this is going to send shudders down your spine, all right? Flat the curve, just two weeks, lockdowns, restrictions, or numbers, social distancing, stay in your bubble, six for a funeral, six for a wedding, wash your hands, wear a mask, unvaccinated are bad people, contract tracing, essential businesses only, PPE, community spread, transmission, chief medical officers, Neffet, clustering, cocooning, super spreaders, remember them? There were kids at one stage. Uh, Self-isolation. Oh, God, I remember that word. COVID-19 variants. Every time, of course, we thought we were on top of things, we were told there was a new variant. Herd immunity, lockdown, shielding, PCR tests, of course, which we turned out to be completely exaggerated. 14-day quarantines, if you felt like it. And asymptomatic was a word we invented. That was a good word, wasn't it? That was a word that when you went to hospital or you went to a doctor or you took a PCR test, you were told you had a virus, but you felt perfectly fine. We were told to stay indoors for 14 days and not to go near anybody, even though there was actually nothing wrong with you. Uh, you were told you were asymptomatic. Well, the question I'm asking you today is, should we have a full public inquiry? And should people be held accountable if bad mistakes and bad decisions were made. Let me know what you think. The number is 085-100-2255. 085-100-2255. Joining me is my good friend, Ivor Cummins, who is an expert in not just logistics and figures and data, but an expert also in COVID-19 and his view of it. Uh, Ivor, good afternoon to you. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. Great to be here. I apologize. Uh, Ivor, I mean, look, there has been so much research done now since the last lockdown, of course, everybody's time is all muddled in their head. We have no idea. It's been four years, of course, almost since this all started. You know, there's no doubt that people did die from COVID-19, but a lot of people died with COVID-19, which were the exaggerated figures. I mean, realistically, were there many mistakes made or are politicians right to say we made the right decisions at the right time based on the data we had? Yeah, well, the data is all in now, as you say, but we've got to remember in April 2020, the first published paper came out from Woods Hole Institute showing clear as crystal there was no relationship between lockdown, severity lockdown across 40 countries and the outcomes. 
and also with Professor Dr. Stefan Homburg, who's just given an address in the Bundestag in the German parliament, and he goes through the exact same thing. And he came out with a paper, a mathematical paper, showing the exact same thing. And we've since had around 50 plus. I put them on our website. So we know now that paper you referred to that said 0.2% was saved, that's an absolute unsound uh, conclusion. It's 0.2% out because all of the data suggests it's zero saved plus or minus something. And you can't really tell for sure. And we know that Sweden with no lockdowns, no masks and kids up to 16 in school throughout had the lowest the lowest excess mortality in all the OECD countries over the two-year period. So you could go on all day, but this is as close to a scientific or mathematical fact as you can get with data. That lockdown had no measurable benefit and it had enormous costs and caused enormous excess mortality over the last couple of years post-COVID. We've got to talk about the excess debt rates this year. A lot of people are talking about excess debt rates and the fact that this year seems to be um, much higher than normal. The reason for that, and I'm only giving my personal view, I'm not a doctor, and I certainly don't understand the data as well as you do, but I would imagine during COVID-19, we missed out on diagnosing or the early diagnosis of a lot of cancers or serious illnesses, and people couldn't get to see a doctor, particularly those over the age of 65. Would that be a reason why we're now seeing that? And also the mental health of people losing their jobs, their businesses, and the stress that put on people. Could that be a reason we're seeing a lot of excess debts at the moment? Uh, absolutely. So we made a movie. It's at covidchroniclesmovie.com, uh, available to download free. We got a couple of underground to make it. We only had professors in it from all the fields. Uh, but I said that at the end, and I said it under advisement. And clearly, we've got a freight train of excess mortality coming based on the responses uh, to this thing. And that's exactly what we have. So you've got all the cancer problem you mentioned. You've got all the cardiac issues. You've got all the stress-related issues. You've got the psychological torture that was 100% unnecessarily imposed on the population. And you've got all the other effects that come from the absurd reaction to the whole thing, including the whole health system was turned upside down again unnecessarily. That's important. So you also can start arguing about the mass medication that was coerced. The problem is I stay clear of that because I can't definitively attribute a percentage of the mortality to that specifically. But there is a correlation. So it's a hot isn't topic. There? I mean, there is, I mean, look, we don't know if it's causation yet, of course. We have to look at the fact that, you know, vaccines as they go. And I, and I, we generally pro-vaccine, but you are always going to have a risk, you know, and a benefit to vaccines. And the risk is, of course, that some people will take a bad reaction to all vaccines, by the way. But that, the benefits normally outweigh the risks. When you have a situation where you have the whole world being vaccinated, a population of 8 billion people or whatever it is, you know, being vaccinated, you are going to get a higher mortality rate in relation to those vaccines. So there has to be, I mean, there has been court cases all over the world in relation to heart attacks and myocarditis in relation to particularly young males. Yeah, and exactly as you say it, Niall. So even the most pro-vaccine people acknowledge X amount of mortality and morbidity or you know major issues will result from this novel kind of somewhat experimental drug. So they acknowledge that. The only debate is how much, what percentage. 
So the best data we have from the Pfizer trial and the six-month follow-up is that one in 800 have a severe uh, reaction. Now, the problem with that is that one in a thousand people, you're not even going to notice one in a thousand people having a problem. It'll kind of be a bit blurred. And if the media don't want to focus on it, it just disappears. Now, in contrast, if the media want to focus on one in a thousand people passing with COVID with a median age of 83, they can turn that into a massive issue. But the bottom line is, since COVID, Ireland in 2020 experienced no notable excess mortality over normal. It was very similar to, to 2018, which is kind of a bad flu year. 21, 22 and 23, we've got really dramatic, fascinating excess mortalities that really are very big and the media won't even talk about it. It's omerta. So that kind of tells you a lot. I mean, when we, we started all this and nobody could blame the government, you know, in March 2020 for the reaction and, you know, they flattened the curve in just two weeks and let's all stay indoors and let's all stay away, away from each other, even though, of course, they didn't recommend masks at that stage. Actually, they were adamant that masks would make no difference. We now know, by the way, even though they changed their mind in the middle of it, that masks made no difference because the published papers have already been out on that. The masks made, and the, word, the title was, little or no difference. Um, because, of course, people were taking grubby little masks out of their pockets and putting them that they bought in a garage and sticking them on their face 40 times and fiddling. Actually, the funniest thing I seen was a woman in a queue in the supermarket one day and she had this grubby mask on her face and what she was doing while she was standing in the queue was lifting it to have a cigarette <laughs> and I was saying to myself love I think the cigarettes will kill you long before the COVID will to be honest with you but so we're clear about that but the point I was making is nobody could blame the government certainly for the first couple of months in an unprecedented time in a pandemic where we were seeing videos coming from China of people falling down on the streets which now would turn out to be untrue we've seen the mess in Italy and we now understand why the mess in Italy happened because they were prioritising everybody rather than prioritising the elderly I mean we can't be blamed, I suppose, for those first few months. Yeah, well, I was quite gracious in the first very early April period when I was going out publicly on YouTube and I was allowing a certain amount uh, to be stupidity and ignorance. But then as the weeks passed, it became clear that there were very clear agendas at play and they were driven down from WHO, UN, World Economic Forum. So it just became not a conspiracy theory. I'm the opposite because I go by the data. But the data was irrefutable. It was clearly a tops-down kind of strategic thing to grossly overreact to COVID. And the thing was that Diamond Princess in February 2020, I had seen that data as Professor Levitt had, and he went on mainstream. This is the cruise ship, of course. Where, yeah. The cruise ship, 3,700 people. It only took me a nanosecond to look through the numbers, do the math, and say this is going to be a severe flu level impact overwhelmingly in the elderly. And that's it. You know, 3,700 people. There were 2,200 staff. Nothing happened. It was a Petri ship, air conditioning shared. They got 20 to 30% positivity. They were riddled. It's an extreme case of maximal spread. And all they had was a few late 70s and late 80-year-olds who passed, a seven or nine in the first instance. And I just did the math and I said, hold on a second, this is the severe flu at worst impact. And so everyone knew that, but it was actually suppressed.
sadly, so, it was suppressed. So what, what we did was, by moving the elderly back into nursing homes from hospitals at the time, that serious mistake that was made early in the start, and I'm going to be talking to Care Champions about that a bit later on, we, we focused on the whole population instead of focusing on those that were actually at risk. So realistically, under the age of 70, you were no more at risk than you would be of getting a flu or a bad cold. Whereas over the age of 70, you were probably a little bit more at risk than you would be of flu or bad cold. So instead of focusing all our efforts on the elderly, which what we should have been doing, we focused all our efforts on the whole population. Yeah, and essentially Sweden did the scientific thing. They tried in as much as they could to focus on the elderly, and they admitted it didn't work out that great. But they did work out the best in Europe with no lockdowns, no masks, and kids up to 16 in school. So they had no damage, no aftermath, no hundreds of billions of dollars per country wasted, right, and given to the ultra-rich. That's where all the money went. It went up to the corporations. Sweden absolutely did a blinding performance. Uh, but they tried to do what you described, Niall. Uh, it's worth trying, uh, but in fairness, with a ubiquitous aerosol-borne kind of lab-made virus, because that's broadly accepted now that it was gain-of-function research. Uh, with that Mind kind you, of thing, you'd have been you barred from Facebook really... for you would have been barred from Facebook for even suggesting that going back two years ago. We now know, of course, from the American government that's actually the most likely cause of the virus. It was leaked uh, either purposely, as some people have suggested, or certainly by accident from a lab in Wuhan and was man-made. Yeah, and I mean, the absurdity of it, even at the time, I mean, basically, we had these jokes going amongst, I have a lot of virologists, professionals in my network, and it was a running joke, like, what happened? Did a mouse come up from a thousand kilometers down south or, or east, where the bats were, and did it get bitten by a bat and come up and get eaten by a pangolin up in Wuhan, where the class four viral lab is that does this work just happens to be around the corner like <laughs> it's just absurd and you know there were four features in the virus very briefly and none of them made any sense to come zoonotically or from nature and if you multiply the probability of all four turning up which each one is vanishingly low it just becomes a number that's absurd the chances coming from nature it just it's possible but it's just absurd okay in relation to what we did for the second two years, forget about the first six months just for the moment, because as I said, we can write that off to some degree or we can be forgiving in the fact that it was unprecedented. After six months, we had plenty of data. You yourself were on YouTube, you were on Twitter, you were on Facebook with all the data. Um, we still continued to make the same mistake over and over again, expecting a different result the next morning, which didn't happen. We went on and we had continuous lockdowns by Leo Varadkar's own admission. Only recently, he said the third lockdown of the third year, third Christmas, was probably unnecessary. I think we all knew that. Uh, I think we would believe it was unnecessary from six months on. But in saying that, they went on to continue to make these mistakes. Some of the silly stuff, of course, was the nine euro meal. We remember that. Uh, the other silly stuff were those who chose not to be vaccinated were, ex uh, were basically discriminated in society with vaccine passports, etc., etc. Uh, businesses were closed down, particularly in the hospitality industry. The nightclub industry never recovered. The nighttime industry was destroyed. I mean, so many jobs were lost. So many businesses were lost. So many j livelihoods were lost. So many people's mental health was on the floor. You couldn't visit your poor granny dying in a nursing home. You had to watch her through the glass as nobody held her hand. You couldn't even go to your own brother's funeral. I mean, these were shocking, shocking things that were completely now, as we now know, completely unnecessary. Should somebody pay the price? Yeah, of course. But the, the problem is, you see, 
as I mentioned, I'm the opposite, ironically, of a conspiracy theorist because I'm a hardcore data person. But by April, I was realizing the chances of this being just stupidity are getting smaller and smaller. And I did not want it to be a strategy from WEF, WHO. But the problem was the data was just getting clear as crystal. I couldn't I couldn't get away from it. And just to give an example, in the summer was my most difficult period. And the reason was it finally ended any chance of this being stupidity. And that was because with the hospitals empty, no COVID around, nothing going on, all across Europe simultaneously, and we don't even know to this day where exactly it came from, all the countries together like dominoes brought in mandatory masks with prison sentences and fines. And that latter point is really important. They didn't say, look, we want you to wear masks for no reason, because that was clear there was no reason in the summer to wear masks. Even if you were terrified of COVID, it wasn't going to come back till October, November, seasonal. But they brought in prison sentences and fines simultaneously. That was clearly institutional corruption at a gargantual scale and people somehow fell for it. Two final questions. First, you mentioned, of course, a lot of people got rich and I'm looking at an article here. The wealth of Ireland's nine billionaires had increased by 15.55 billion since the start of COVID-19's pandemic. That was in 2022. Of course, all those key companies made a huge amount of money. And um, we also seen, you know, individuals, I won't start mentioning names, getting contracts from the government without even giving, without even putting in a tender. These were people, by the way, who were known or related to government ministers. Um, a lot of people made a lot of money from COVID-19. Um, individuals, it was in their interest that it kept going because there was millions being made. Do you think, firstly, that should be exposed? And secondly, what role do you believe the media played in all of this? Of course, the media were essentially promoting it and promoting the lockdowns and promoting uh, the government guidelines. And anybody who decided, you know, that we didn't want to go along with that or thought that was a bad idea or even questioned it, probably lost their job within the media. So what role do the media play? And also, people who made money, should they be exposed? Yeah, so on the first point, people who made money. So this had a relatively small number of very influential organizations like WHO that were driving the whole agenda, if you will. But then there were vast hordes of useful idiots who actually believed the madness and who drove it. And there were also vast hordes of people who had financial interests uh, who became, it became a conspiracy of interests. They weren't actually in a conspiracy per se, but when they started making absolute fortunes, they massively supported the whole madness. And why wouldn't you, you could ask? So on the people who made money, they did it legally, but it should be exposed that the whole thing was absolute nonsense and they made their money uh, unethically at the very best and around five mm. or ten trillion was probably peed up against the wall and it absolutely went from the middle and working class and small businesses straight to the top point one percent in the corporations so that was the biggest heist in human history based on a falsehood essentially covid was real people died but the response that made the money was an absolute travesty the second one was the media astonishing to watch. The UK Spectator and the UK Telegraph were pretty good during 2020. Everyone else was, it was shocking. I guess their CEOs and their GMs and their senior management are all members of organizations where they kind of get the memo. And any reporter or journalist who reported truthfully 
uh, they got sanctioned and that was the chilling effect. So everyone else just rolled and it was disgusting to watch. It was it was kind of bizarre actually to watch people rolling around in bubbles in RTE on the Claire Byrne show or sewing with two professors yeah. on there with sewing machines making masks, which I thought was the most bizarre thing. This is the same professor, by the way, who told us all on the Late Late Show only six months previous that uh, where there's no need to wear masks. It's not a scary movie or a horror movie or something like that. I can't remember the exact quote, but uh, he was adamant that it made no difference. But yet six months later, he's on the television sewing them and making them. And then also, of course, you had RTE with the nightly death figures, which was like some rural Ireland radio station giving out the death notices every day at six o'clock. And that went on way too long. Whatever about the interest people might have had at the start, it became like the doomsday hour. Yeah. And you know what? At the time, I debunked those figures and I could do it in my sleep. I'm not being arrogant, but for a data guy, all my corporate data guys, root cause guys, we're all chatting all during that period. And we were all astonished at the simplicity of the data and the, the, the obviousness of the fraud in the mortality data. And yet they kept banging the drum. And again, it's because there was a lot of mass psychosis in this. But there was also some very malevolent, uh, kind of powerful international bodies that were feeding the machine. Uh, and they were, you know, I mean, they I were mean, the one, main One of those reason. things, just very quickly, was I remember at one stage, because I, I was obviously working in radio as well at the time, which I still am. But at one stage, they were saying, they were encouraging everybody to go and get PCR tested. That the numbers were rising. Please, everybody go out and get yourself PCR tested. And then surprise, surprise, the following day, the case numbers were up. But of course the case numbers were up because thousands more were getting tested. So by the, by the obvious logic, the case numbers would have been up. And also then the debt rate was up by the obvious logic that we were testing more people. So anybody, which was the farcical thing, particularly in the UK, Sky News were reporting as well, that anybody who had had a COVID test within the last 30 days and had tested positive, no matter how you died, if you were run over by a bus, you still went down as a COVID death. And, and Leo Vranco, by his own admission, admitted that the majority of people who died of COVID-19 didn't die from COVID-19, but only died with a positive test of COVID-19. Well, absolutely. I mean, Professor Homburg in the Bundestag, I think yesterday or the day before, he said it clearly, the average age in Germany, there was no excess mortality worth a toss in 2020. The average age of death with COVID was 83. The average age of death without COVID was 82. And we saw this everywhere. And again, I went with a bunch of people over the border uh, in level five lockdown, I think it was. You just drive across the border, go to the UK, you can go to restaurants, no permits, no passports, no masks. And all of that normal life in England, right beside us, and we're in high lockdown, and the curves. For I, both I was saying because obviously I was are the I, same. I, I was living in the north, obviously, uh, and um, driving yeah. up and down each day to work. But I had a pass which got me. But when you drove over the border, there was no checkpoints. Uh, but yet, when I was <sighs> driving up the M1 towards the north, I was stopped at least twice by the police at checkpoints. If you're outside your five-kilometer zone, which was the most ridiculous thing in the world, stopping people from yeah. travelling. Listen, it's been wonderful talking to you again, Ivor. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Ivor Cummins. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Nile Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.